Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Future Ready Podcast, where we explore how to build future-ready organizations in a new never normal. My name is Arne Kötting, founder of Cozin, and your host. Gender inequality in the workplace, an issue most of us would agree needs to be addressed, and yet often feels like an empty promise in the lips of corporate leaders. It is a well-known fact that most companies still suffer from major gender imbalances in leadership and workforce, stark pay gaps and insufficient policies promoting gender equality. And while the pursuit of gender equality is of course the right thing to do, it is also key to the development of healthy, future-ready organizations. Companies whose workforce is predominantly white and male, are missing out on too much diversity of thought. And there is plenty of research that they are missing out on huge opportunities for innovation and ultimately on profit. So how can we motivate leaders to finally treat gender equality as a priority? Our guest today suggests that we should start by hitting businesses where it most hurts with money. Diana von Maasdijk is the co-founder and CEO of Equileap, the leading provider of data on gender equality in the workplace. The company's mission is simple, to take a leap towards closing the gender gap by enabling investors to make investment decisions that take gender equality into account. In 2022, Equileap reported that there are fewer female chairs on the board than male chairs called John in the S&P 500 companies, with the score being 23 Johns and 21 female chairs. And as sad as this sounds, it is also proof that Diana's work is still very much valuable and needed. And that's why I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Diana, welcome to the Future Ready podcast. It's a pleasure having you here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Diana, tell us a bit about your background. How did you become interested in gender equality and finance? Yeah, I think it started at a young age. I was born in and raised in Ecuador, um, even though my parents treated us equally, the boys and girls in the family. I saw that there were quite a few differences outside of the home mm -hmm. as far as what boys were supposed to do, what girls were supposed to do. And it was also a very poor country. And many times when I saw street children on the streets, it was the little girls who were taking care of their brothers and sisters, um, the women who were asking for money. And so it was clear to me that there was a connection between gender inequality and poverty. And so when I went to study at the university and I wanted to do something um, that would allow me to work within poverty alleviation, I realized that the solution too much of it, was to address sexism and the differences between men and women. And then after years, in also in the corporate settings, in a bank, but also in NGOs, you finally founded your company that you are now CEO of, Equileap. Um, tell us, what is, what is Equileap um, all about? What's the mission you are on? Yeah, it's it's been a fantastic journey indeed of working for NGOs and then working for a bank where I was assisting philanthropists with how they could give their money to yeah. um, good projects. It sort of came together that one of the strategies we weren't using yet 
for addressing gender equality was the power of the financial markets. Right. You usually don't think about that. You think, okay, if we're addressing uh, gender equality, it has to be through lobbying, through laws, through education, through changing attitudes. But when I was working for this bank, I, I, I had this brainwave and I realized that there was an interest in investing in a responsible way. Yeah. Uh, ESG investing is growing. It's booming. And when I looked at ESG investing, I realized they weren't talking about gender equality okay. as one of the issues that you could invest in. I asked some questions and um, I was told, well, the problem is there's no data. Oh. Meaning there's no data about the corporate sector. There's data about the corporate sector as far as what do the corporations do to try to save the environment, to not pollute as much, to have human rights in their uh, supply, supply chain, chain, that yeah. kind of thing. Huh? Mm -hmm. But not so much data about what were companies doing on the percentages of women at all levels of the corporate level of the corporate um, company. We were, I wanted to see were companies giving parental leave uh, to both fathers and mothers. Did they have anti-sexual harassment policies? That data was missing. So what we How do, do as equity. How do you make sense of that? I don't know. I think maybe nobody was asking for it. Maybe nobody was making the connection that you could invest with a gender lens. Mm. And people were starting to talk about this, about gender lens investing. Mm. But everybody was saying the data was missing. So the mission of Equileap is to close the gender equality gap in the workplace. So we're focused on the workplace. And what we do is that we research around 4,000 companies, all of them publicly listed around the world, let's say the 4,000 largest, mm -hmm. strongest companies around the world, and we research them on gender equality issues, like the one that I was mentioning. What's the percentage of women at the leadership position, but also at the management position, at the workforce level? Does the company publish its gender pay gap? What is its gender pay gap? Mm. Does the company have a flexible working hours and locations? Does the company offer parental leave policies? Mm -hmm. Does the company supply from women-owned companies? And so with all this data, we then score the companies between zero and 100, mm -hmm. every single one of the 4,000. And then we sell the data to asset managers, banks, pension banks, pensions, who can then um, choose to invest in those companies that are doing better on gender equality. Mm. I really like that approach. I think it's super smart. Thank you. I mean, to get companies there where they are most interested in, I guess, their, their share price. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 and so this is really a big lever. Was there... You're like when in your corporate setting, in the bank you mentioned, was there really a moment of frustration that you did a lot, did a lot, and yet you didn't see the change? Uh, was there this this deep feeling of we I can't continue with that? We, it's got to be different because it's so disruptive. Your idea? Mm -hmm. No, you you're absolutely right. So about eight years ago, I was feeling pretty disillusioned, pretty knocked down. Let's okay. say, I was thinking the same issues that inspired me to go work for gender equality were still there. Okay, so, you know? so, so over nothing has changed over what period? Well, uh, about 20 years wow. of my career. Okay, yeah. Right, so 20 years of my career, and I was thinking, every year the World Economic Forum publishes a report on the gender, um, the global gender gap. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were still saying it was going to take another seven generations at the pace we are changing right mm -hmm, now mm -hmm. before we have full parity between men and women in uh, the world. That means the same representation of men and women at the political level, at the economic level, 
educational level. So I was feeling quite disillusioned. And um, and then I got excited about responsible investing because I was thinking, hey, if people with their financial power, their investment euros and dollars are going to the companies and saying, we don't want to invest in companies that are bad for the environment. Mm-hmm. We don't want to invest in companies that are bad for human rights, right? Mm-hmm. I was thinking, how about investing in companies that are doing something about gender equality? And my gut feeling was, these companies are probably the better companies. Mm-hmm. Like, these companies are probably the ones that are going to make mm-hmm. you more money. That was your assumption, yeah. It was my assumption, just by seeing that when um, in the world of the NGOs, when you had more gender balance in the teams, when you addressed inequality, sexism at mm. all kinds of from the village level mm. to the political level, um, the results were positive. Yeah, it was it was better to have a diverse team addressing the issues. Yeah. And so my hypothesis was it's going to be the same for the corporate sector. Okay. A company that has more uh, diversity is going to be a better company. Okay. So out of this frustration came the idea of could we create a portfolio mm-hmm. of the companies that have more gender balance? Mm-hmm. And I did pitch this idea within the bank that I was working at. And it was rejected a couple okay. of times. And people were saying, who's going to want to invest in a women's fund? They were calling it or a pink fund or, um, you know. It was <laughs> this name like, in itself yeah. reveals a lot. Yeah. Right, right. There were people laughing and saying, oh, then we're going to have to have pink credit cards. And I was like, no, it's, <laughs> it's not what I'm talking about. And also, I'm not talking about more women is better. I'm really talking about gender balance, yeah. about gender equality, that when yeah. you have a mixed group, that that's when it's better. So... Um, But I have to say that when I went to my feminist friends and colleagues and explained the idea, I was also confronted with a lot of skepticism. What were their uh, skepticism? Well, they were like, we're not going to use the capitalist system. You know, that's that's the enemy. And within a lot of feminist theory, indeed, the way the capitalist system has been set up to purely go for profits Mm -hmm. is a system that takes advantage of the poorest of the poor, of low labor, and who's doing the low labor many times? Mm -hmm. It's women. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it is inherent that that system doesn't always work. But I was, you know, I was trying to say, yes, but we're we're trying to address it and transform it because there will be investors who will want to have a social return on top of their financial return. So I um, anyways left my job and uh, looked around for a couple people who wanted to help. And I did find a small group who believed wow. in the idea. Wow. I lo- and it. so then we took off and tried to build the, the data, uh, the database. And uh, in the end, once we had built it, we did have uh, people come and say, yes, we'd like to have this data. I wonder if your former employer uh, is also a client <laughs> no. of yours. Okay, no, good. Um, so, no. so let's talk about that procedure, how you assess this data. I mean, I've seen this fantastic study on your website that fewer female chairs of the board There are fewer female chairs of the board than male chairs called John in the <laughs> S&P 500 companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I mean, I don't know, it's funny and shocking at the same time. But I guess that's easy. It's relatively easy to assess and to track. But I guess there are, when, you, when it comes to the other things that you mentioned, like on lower levels, um, the, the, the balance between the gender balance, etc. 
it's a bit trickier to track and to assess. So how transparent are most companies in relation to their gender equality um, data? And how do you go on in assessing those companies when there is actually no internal data available? Yeah, that's one of the biggest uh, challenges we have, the lack of transparency for many of the things we're looking for. And I think that that's one of the reasons that many people said we cannot collect the data because it's not transparent. But the strategy we put in place was we're going to look for this data. If we don't find one specific criteria, like what's the percentage of women in your management level, mm. then the company gets zero points for that criteria, meaning that their final score goes down. Mm-hmm. And we publish a report every year with the top 100 companies, which shows which ones are doing the best, mm-hmm. which encourages other companies to see their peers and to think, hey, why is this company on the list and not, and we are not on the list? So a bit of healthy competition there. Right. I mean, it's the corporate sector, yeah. right? And, and it's capitalism. <laughs> That's what so they love. The, the, yeah. the, what they love is competition. Yeah. And um, so you play the game and then you you know, you, we, we, we publish this list of the top 100 and uh, we have had companies who call us many times from offices of the CEO saying we want to know why we're not on the list. Mm-hmm. And we explain and then they're like, oh, okay, so we have to start publishing this or we have to start giving more information or having higher percentages of women, you know, and then they start doing that. And I have seen companies in the past five years that we have been publishing that have really increased their position. And then at the same time, once we've, we research the companies, right? So the researchers go to the corporate responsibility reports, the annual reports, the websites, any press releases the company has all published. Right. They collect all this data uh, from does the company pay living wages? Do they publish their gender pay gap? Mm-hmm. The percentages of women, um, you know, in, on their supply chain, are they making mm-hmm. sure that their supply chains are... Um, safe uh, uh, for women and men. Then once they've collected what they could find, we send an email to the company Mm -hmm. and we say, this is what we have collected. Do you want to validate? Is there anything else you Mm -hmm. want to Mm -hmm. add? And so companies have an opportunity to then send us more information. I have to say, we only take the information that the company publishes. We won't take information that they just tell us. They must publish the data and then we'll collect it. And that has also created an improvement in the transparency. So the lack of transparency, yes, there's still a lack of transparency, but what we were seeing five years ago is very different than what we're seeing today. We're seeing much more. And it's with this encouragement of then also telling the companies, we are selling this data to investors. Mm -hmm. And that also gives them an encouragement to want to give us better data Mm -hmm. because they know that the investors will see it. You know, Diversity, equality and inclusion finally becomes a a hot topic in the corporate world. Recent reports on corporate trends for the incoming years conducted, for instance, by Deloitte or McKinsey Mm -hmm. have consistently been signaling workplace equality um, as a prominent um, topic. Yet it feels like the issue of diversity in, in corporate settings remain oftentimes an empty promise in speeches and annual reports. I mean, I might exaggerate here, but how would you agree to this observation and what improvements have you seen ever since you started working in this field? Yeah, I see more talk about it. I hear more talk and and there's more companies that are starting to say that this is important. Um, I have seen improvements in the 4,000 companies that we research. Every year we see a slight improvement Mm -hmm. in the average scores. 
I think they can do much more. I think that the power of investors uh, is not yet there. Like we've just started. We have just started. If within the future, more and more investors say, I absolutely want this as a factor in the portfolios I'm investing in, Mm -hmm. we will see the change happen faster. Mm -hmm. I do, um, yeah, it's not fast enough yet, for sure. But I think it's one more tool, right? I think that we had some tools in their toolbox for gender equality, diversity, and inclusion. And now gender lens investing is one more tool and a powerful one. So we just need to still get it out there, the message, get the message out there to enough investors so that they turn around to their banks, to their advisors, and to say, are you including gender equality in the factors when you are investing my money? And that's an important thing. So the more people who turn around and say that to and ask about that, the quicker we will. Yeah. And I guess it's also um, that you need some cases um, or um, examples of, um, you know, gender equal funds, Mm -hmm. maybe, I don't know, outperforming their peers uh, or other companies. I mean, coming back to the hypothesis with which you have started your Mm -hmm. business, you wondered if... Uh, gender-balanced companies are more successful, uh, like in terms of their share performance. Is that, do you have evidence that this indeed is the case? Yeah, luckily we do. I mean, it was great. It's been great to see. What we have seen is that when we make an index of the companies which are, which have the highest gender equality scores, they do just as well as their benchmark or a little bit better. Yeah. But particularly when the markets are low, which like right now, and the markets fall, Mm -hmm. the companies with more gender equality are always doing a little better than those. They're higher. They don't tend to fall as low. Okay. So in the long run, in the long run, um, we see an outperformance. There is a fund called Gender out there that invests in the top 100 companies with the best gender equality. And since they launched in 2018... They have grown exponentially. So they launched with 12 million assets under management. They now have 1.6 billion assets under management. Huge. And they have outperformed annually their benchmark by 3%. Wow. So it's, you know, to me, it makes the case. It makes sense. I think a lot of investors who care about gender equality would be willing to take less money and a better world, a better society for everyone. So they would invest in it anyways. Mm -hmm. But it's very nice to see that it actually the business case of uh, investing in gender equality is out there. It makes sense. And the companies with better gender balance are the companies that are more successful on the stock markets. And to build on that, Diana, what are the other incentives for company to advance on the topic of gender equality? I mean, we've talked about the, you know, attracting investors, which is obviously, um, which is, as you ex- just explained to us, um, easier. But also in terms of uh, companies' um, innovation machine, the ability to um, you know, create outperforming products, etc. Is there any data with regards to that, the impact of um, gender balance and innovation or decision-making or or any? Yeah, I I have seen some research uh, documents saying that companies with more diversity and gender diversity are uh, more flexible. They Mm -hmm. have more ideas. They, you know, it's just, 
it's good to have different thoughts yeah. and different perspectives. If you, in the end you have a team where everyone's the same, uh, everyone's male, everyone's white, everyone has the same economic background, uh, the same studies, uh, takes vacations in the same places, you know, it'll be easy to have meetings, right? You'll mm -hmm. have a meeting, the decision will be made, you will continue. Um, but uh, it'll be difficult to have innovation, to have uh, different perspectives. And for most of these companies, the consumers of their products are not all white males, you know, of the same economic background. They're not. The consumers are have all kinds of colors and genders. And so it makes only corporate sense to have teams that have the perspective of their consumers, too. Mm -hmm. I also think that another reason why companies want to do this, and I've heard CEOs talk about this many times, they, they're the ones who are concerned the most, is the lack um, or the, the loss of talent. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that for a number of decades already, both men and women have been graduating from the same level, at the same level pretty much, from universities. So we see, at least in the developed world, but many also developing countries, men and women are coming out of universities at the same level. So they're entering the workforce at the same level. We see a lot of gender balance at the workforce level. And then what happens is that as they start to climb up, you have this leaky pipeline where you lose the women at the management level, senior management, executive, and then you end up with, indeed, only, you know, boards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, men. White men. And the problem is that these companies bring in brilliant women from the universities to their workforces, and then they lose them. And they lose them for different reasons, right? You could lose them because they find women find out that they're not being paid the same as the, their male colleagues or because they're not being promoted or because of the pressures that they mm -hmm. feel for taking care of children, older people in their countries and the company does not provide any parental leave. Mm -hmm. any, mm -hmm. And so that is a huge problem of this brain loss. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that companies are concerned about and want to address. Gender equality is not just a workplace problem, but a systemic society-wide issue. Um, women and other minorities, as you have told us, have been systemically excluded for centuries and often haven't, haven't had the same opportunities in terms of experience and encouragement. You told us the story about Ecuador. So I wonder in this context, how important and effective do you think are internal policies for gender equality? Yes, 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 yes. For sure. I mean, let's take um, taking care of children. There is uh, an incredible societal pressure mm -hmm. that women feel, um, both from other women and men, that once they are mothers, they are not going to be good workers if they work part-time and they won't be good mothers if they work part-time or mm -hmm. if they work full-time. And so I think it is important for corporations to ensure that they address this issue, that they understand the societies they're working in, and that if they want to keep women actively participating and bringing their brain power right, to their com companies, they have to put certain policies in place. And I think an important policy for gender equality is parental leave for fathers. Mm -hmm. Like you actually have to give access to the men to take also time off, to be nurturing to their children, to, to take care of their children so that this is a shared issue. Parental leave for mothers, of course, also. Flexible working hours and locations. Mm -hmm. You know, 
I think that definitely now after Corona, it's very, very clear that the nine to five culture is not really necessary in the yeah. corporate sector. Yeah. There are a few, you know, exceptions where you must work, you must be present every single day of the of the week. But allowing some flexibility of the hours, of the locations that you do your work, trusting your employees that it's on the output that you're looking for and not that clockwork of uh, so many hours, but it's actually what you want expect them to do. I think that that works and that that is something that you have to do because the company doesn't work in a vacuum. It yeah. works within certain cultures and you have to address them and be very aware of these cultures. I remember hearing about stories about Sweden Mm-hmm. that it was a well-known sort of cultural uh, sort of uh, idea or uh, something that was uh, expected that the fathers brought the kids to school mm-hmm. and the mothers would pick them up. Mm-hmm. And so fathers bring the kids to school at around 8 o'clock and, and then they go to work and mothers would pick them up at around 3, 4 in the afternoon and so leave their jobs earlier. Mm-hmm. And then these women were complaining that corporations were making the most important meetings at four o'clock, mm-hmm. you know, and so because it had been the tradition to do that and that you have to address, you have to yeah. address if you know that you live in a culture, you have a company in a culture where this is kind of expected. Uh, nobody was asking for important meetings at nine in the morning, but they were at four o'clock. You're going to miss out on your female employees. And so these are the sort of small sort of examples of how you take into consideration the culture you work in to ensure that you have gender balance. Super interesting. Is the hiring, in your view, of a DEI, um, Diversity, Equality, Inclusion Officer, or creation of a DEI department essential to combat gender inequality in corporate settings? I think it makes sense to have a DNI um, uh, department, but I also think that it will only make a difference if the CEO stands behind it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if it's just because you're, you know, you want to show to the world, yes, we have DNI, but the CEO is not behind there, setting targets, demanding transparency, ensuring that talent is kept, then that department won't have much power. Yeah. Because it's outside of the business, yeah, right? Exactly. exactly. It's it shares HR. the same fate, like right. sustainability, for instance. If there right. is a sustainability department, but it's not embedded in strategy and it's not mm-hmm. really incorporated in the in mm-hmm. the CEO's language, then They have mm-hmm. a hard life. Yeah, it, it must be something that the leadership of a company believes in as something essential for the progress of the company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just because you mentioned Corona, um, I wonder, there, there is some talk about, you know, the impact of Corona on gender equality. Now that we have an expert here, what's the kind of what's the facts Uh, was it a was it positive or or negative on on gender equality? Um, the studies that I have seen, the research is very fresh. Huh? It's mm-hmm. not. I think within a few years we will know for sure. But the consensus mostly is that Corona was very negative for women in the corporate sector. You ended up working at home, right? If you had an office job, not a factory job or you, you end, or healthcare, you ended up working at home. And what we saw is that then women more than men were juggling the, the work from the home and the 
the work at the office and that that was very difficult and that men had less of a hard time juggling because there were less expectations mm-hmm. that they that this is their work to take right. care of the children or of older parents. So I have seen some studies that a higher percentage of women left their jobs than men mm-hmm. during Corona, that they couldn't really take it, that it was too much. A higher percentage of women than men uh, had mental health issues, yeah, I've yeah. also seen. Breakdowns, stress, burnouts. Mm-hmm. So we will see the numbers afterwards, I think in a few years. Yeah. The other thing that I have heard is that women... Companies said, okay, fine, everybody works from home and you can have flexible working hours. And many women took it on. And many women have not gone back to the office mm-hmm. because they're saying, oh, but this is so much more better for me because I can work from home. I have a less of a commute. I can go sure. quickly to the school. I can, you know, I can go shopping quickly. I can come back. And so this is better. But the problem when you don't go back to the office is that people don't see you. Exactly. And so when when you have to get you know promoted, or when exactly. you have to look for somebody to take a managerial position, if as a woman you haven't been in the office and your boss has not been seeing you, it's tougher. And I think that that even though I haven't seen studies, about I have that, seen a study on that. You one. have? Yes, I yeah. have seen a study on that one. That. Um, exactly what you mentioned that about the impact of local presence presence mm-hmm. in the office and the impact on on evaluation in annual performances and promotions yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah, severe for sure for sure and then that's when i think okay to women i would like to advise them like don't stay at home the whole time mm-hmm. and don't say oh yes but this is because it's easier for me to go shopping and easier to, for me to go to the daycare it's and tempting too it's uh-huh. tempting of course and then you think okay i can do this everybody looks at me through the zoom but you will have even less opportunity to get promoted. So I would, I think a lot of companies are taking on, you know, two, three days at the office, two, three days outside uh, at the home. Um, I would encourage everyone to take advantage of that. Let's look a little bit closer into the organizations and into the cultures of, of organizations. How can, what's the role of leaders in helping to build a truly diverse culture? through their behavior and through role modeling? What's their responsibility? Yeah, for sure. I mean, in these corporations, everybody looks towards the leadership and um, sees what are they doing? Are they walking the talk? Are they actually doing what they're supposed, you know, they're saying that they should be doing? Um, I love seeing men in very, very powerful positions take parental leave. I think that that, you know, and that they say, well, you know, there's a baby at home and I'm taking so many weeks. The company's not going to go to hell. I'll come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sort of that idea that you say it'll be it'll be OK. I will delegate. You know, women have had to do that for many, many years uh, and of always. And so I, I, I'm very happy when I see that 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 men do that, too. But I think the the role of the leaders within a corporation, if they want to have gender equality, I always call it the three T's. Mm-hmm. Letter T's. So they have to demand transparency from their annual reports and corporate social responsibility reports on what is going on with gender within their company. So publish your gender pay gap, even though it's probably pretty bad, mm-hmm. right? I also love it when CEOs come out and say, we're publishing the gender pay gap. We know that it's bad, but it's the only way that we can monitor. And we're on it. it. And, and be on it. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that these companies, most of these companies, have terrible gender pay mm-hmm. gaps. Only 17% of the ones that we research publish it. Okay. Um, so 
publish it, you know, be transparent, be transparent about your numbers, be transparent about what you do, what kind of uh, policies do you have in place? Do you pay living wages to the lowest paid employees in your company? Uh, That kind of thing. The other T is set targets. If you don't have targets, you're not going to reach there. So setting targets like saying, I want 40% of my managers to be female. I want to have a gender pay gap of under 5%. You know, I want to reach so much percentage of people taking parental leave and coming back afterwards. You know, set your targets and make sure that you follow them. And then the the third one is look for the talent in non-traditional ways. I think many times, many companies look for talent in a way that works for men. Um, and let me kind of explain this. So people are coming out of the university and so the companies will go look for talent and they'll have uh, a... Um, a presentation mm-hmm. and the students graduating will come to the presentation and how it usually goes is that on the back you have the HR people there's a presentation and then they'll be like who has questions <laughs> and a number of mostly men young men will ask the questions this comes back to the culture we live in it's you know girls are are shyer at doing this we're we're taught to be quiet to be silent to not you know to mm-hmm. to not be too rowdy and boys can be rowdy and and not loose out and so what happens is that you end up having more more young men asking questions than women and the the people hiring will take the name of these men and then they'll be like oh let's have an interview with them and so you you end up yeah. uh, looking more towards that, or you end up with a manager who says, "Oh yeah," taps the shoulder of someone else and says, "Why don't you apply for this position?" And many times the manager, if it's a male manager, will tap the shoulder of someone who reminds them of themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Has a similar background, uh, is a little bit like them. It's it's our human nature to be attracted to other people who are like us. But also for females, uh, I mean, this is this yeah. is a bias. The the normal There's a bias. bias. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't have enough women tapping shoulders, yeah. women managers, but you have men, you will end yeah. up having more men. So, okay. in the end, you're looking for talent in 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 the wrong way. And I feel that we need to to start looking for talent in ways that works for everyone. So for example, in that presentation, I wouldn't have a presentation in a huge room of uh, 200 people, but I would make small circles and have men and women sitting in small circles asking questions where you know that women feel more comfortable about uh, coming out and talking and speaking. Not having the manager tap the shoulder, but say to that manager, okay, we have this position within your team. I want you to bring me six people that you think are good for the team, for the position. And they have to be 50% men, 50% women. Okay. And so the manager has to look for the best women. Like they actually have to say, oh, okay, okay, I need three men, three women. The three men, easy. The three women, maybe I don't have enough contact with them. Who are the brilliant ones? Who are the ones that I need to bring in? And so that way you you then give more of an opportunity, an equal opportunity to everyone to get the most brilliant men and women to join your forces. Mm-hmm. Super interesting, the three T's. On that can you give other examples of successful gender equality transformations that you have observed within companies? Just some, you know, what made the difference in those companies? What interventions were um, successful? Yeah, it's the ones that I have seen that have made sense are 
being very proactive about wanting to address the issue, not thinking that it's just going to happen or that it doesn't happen and it's not your fault because, you know, it's just the way it is. But I was reading about the Norwegian bank, which a couple of years ago was our number one company on our ranking, mm-hmm. I think last year. And they were being told what, you know, what has made difference for you to be able to have such a gender balanced and equal uh, workforce. And the CEO was saying daycare. And I thought that, you know, offering daycare, like offering, offering it at a very easy way. And that was something that I think I want to look into more closely. Like, is it, okay. does it really make sense? So that one was, uh, was a good one. I've also heard companies, uh, there was uh, um, also financial sector in the United States that, that set again targets. Like I just, I gave all my managers, all my employees within the, with the management teams targets. Yeah. That they had to reach these targets. And when you have to, you look for the best people, you know? Right. And so then it's, uh, it's, it's really good that works. Interesting. Interesting. On that topic, how do you create this, this uh, a culture of, of equality? Um, oftentimes, gender equality is nurtured by these small, unreflected, almost habitual behaviors or decisions, such as, as you mentioned, who do you invite for interviews? Mm-hmm. So I wonder what can corporate communications or HR teams do to help leaders and employees to become more mindful about those many, many blind spots that everybody has without kind of bad intentions, but to be, yeah, to be more mindful about that. Yeah, and no, you point out to something very real. I think people are blind about their own discriminations and how harmful they are. I've had also conversations, many conversations with different friends and um, and people out there. And you, I think you have to be very aware that even though gender inequality affects all women, the experience of, let's say, a white woman is very different to the experience of a black woman. Mm-hmm. And the discrimination that a black woman will face is, is different, higher, stronger. For example, also things like ethnicity and your background. There's been plenty of research that says that HR experts or will not invite people for an interview based on their last name when the CV is exactly the same Mm -hmm. as someone else's. Mm So there is this discrimination that they are facing. And I think it's important to understand that that we need to address that. Uh, But without this kind of finger pointing, bad you, but it's like human. And it's so, I mean, it's so deeply embedded into our cultures too. It's unfortunately deeply embedded because we we hear messages women cannot be good leaders, persons of certain ethnicities are not going to be smart enough. You know, it's all this stuff which is absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. And having a workforce that is gender balanced and ethnically diverse is is really good for your company. Mm-hmm. It's not only the, the, the right thing to do, it's the really smart, smart thing to do for a company. So I think you need to put things in place, even if it is something like, okay, everybody's going to read these CVs without the names of the people and any photos, Mm -hmm. just purely on experience. Who would you invite to come to the interviews? 
here I think that you will see that every time I've seen these research experiments, there's a higher percentage of women being invited, a higher percentage of ethnic minorities being invited. So it's really important to address that. It's important to address the discrimination that is happening at the HR level, whether it's on purpose or not on purpose. In the end, it doesn't really matter. It's happening. So you have to address it. And I think that once we've done that, yeah, here again, I'm going to see the, say the word I've said throughout the whole uh, interview. You have to put targets. You have yeah. to again say, I want so many from this background, from this gender. In the beginning, you just have to do it because you will break the – once you do that and you are successful with your teams, you will break this notion of discrimination. And so in the in that sense, it's really it's, – it's not going to happen by itself. It has to happen when you are very conscious that you are addressing it and that you're putting targets in place. On that note, putting targets, do you think it needs to come from within the companies or on governmental level? Because, for instance, in Germany, we have a lot of debate now about quota, fixed mm -hmm. quota for boardrooms. Well, unfortunately, only for boardrooms as of now. But how important do you think these kind of uh, governmental interventions are mm -hmm. how important are they yeah and if you would have asked me 10 years ago about the quotas i would have said no they're not needed you know the companies will realize it'll happen we can do it but it's been very clear that companies are not doing that right not yet And it's been also very clear that when a government has put a quota, it's worked. So, for example, let's, let's talk about France. About 12 years ago, the, the, the French government said, okay, you really, these, these companies, there's no women at the boardroom. We must put a quota. They put a quota of 40%. All the publicly listed companies in France now have 40% women on the boards. They're doing fine. You looked one level lower, the executive teams under 20%, you know, about 20% women, not gender balanced. And we were thinking it's going to trickle down, right? If you have enough women on the boards, then the companies will also put more gender balance, will have more gender balance, executive teams, management teams, and so forth, not working. And so France again has turned around and said, okay, this didn't work. Now we're putting a quota for the executive teams. Wow. 30% as of next year, 40% within two years from there. Mm -hmm. The European Union has also been calling on corporates to have more gender balanced team. It has not worked. So now they've said within 2024, I believe, there's going to be a quota for women on boards uh, at, the, at all European countries. So it is unfortunate that it has to come from top down. We're also seeing government saying uh, to corporations, Uh, you're not doing anything about the gender pay gap, so now we're forcing you to be transparent about it. Spain has done that, Italy mm -hmm. has done that, the UK has done that. It wouldn't surprise me if more European countries start doing that too. I mean, they're even talking about it in the United States, wow. that the gender pay gap should be transparent. So what we see also is that the companies located, headquartered in countries where there's been legislation to address gender equality, those companies are doing better. Mm-hmm because they have to, um, you know, adhere to their legislation. So even though in the past I thought, you know, not necessary, why should we have to do that? Now I'm thinking, uh, now I think, yeah, go ahead and put your legislation because uh, it's good for the corporations. And if they don't want to do it by themselves, then they'll have to be forced to do it. Well, super interesting. 
that much about you know trusting trusting mm -hmm. their their own motivation to do things. Um, uh, interesting. Last question for communicators: language is of course super important, and I think language will play a key role in maintaining you know the phenomenon of uh, gender inequality in Germany. There is a big debate right now. I don't know whether you've heard that about gendering in the language. So you know we have RZ. I don't. I know that it doesn't exist in in mm -hmm. um, in, in English. Don't know how things are in, in in Dutch. But companies and also a public sector they are now using more gender equal language. Yeah. And there are a lot of debate about that. I mean, also a lot of emotional debate. Some make fun about that, particularly, you know. But on your, from your expert view, how important do you think this, what seems to be rather a small tweak in language, can be in creating a different culture? Yeah, and, and I recognize that because especially in Spanish, which is my mother tongue, I see that too, that the normal, the norm is to speak about him. Exactly. Uh, about a man. And so the normal human being is a male human being. Yes. It's, it's very harmful. It really is very harmful. And I say this as a woman. I mean, I hate to see an ad for a job where it says, you know, he will have to travel so many hours and yeah. he will have to do this. And then it, it's not talking to me. If you want to have both men and women apply for positions, it's a small tweak. Just make it him, her, you know, and if you want to go further, they, right? Like anyone, any person can apply to this position and we don't particularly expect it to be a man. I think that it's important that language is important. Language is critical to how we believe that what are their possibilities, And so it's a small tweak, and I would say to corporations that they, they should want to do this, just to attract also the female talent and to give an impression that you are welcome at that company, right? That, it's, uh, that, that they're also looking for someone yeah. like you. There are so many studies showing that when you tweak the language, more women apply. Oh, really? Than if you don't, yeah. If it's a very male-oriented advertisement where it's clear they're looking for a man, many women won't apply. Also because many women look at the tasks, well, look at the, what is expected from you. Okay. It's also been a, a sort of research done that has been, it's expected that you have this degree. It's expected that you yes. have so many years of experience. It's expected that you can do this, that you can do that. That when women look at that list, if they don't make eight out of 10, they don't apply because okay. they're like, I don't really fit. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. They're looking for all these things. If I don't make eight or ten, and so they have to be encouraged a little bit more from just and men. <laughs> if they eight bringing, out of ten, I get if it. They make, <laughs> if they make four, they're like, "Oh, I'm applying." <laughs> you know, and it's that confidence you grow up with as a boy, yeah. which many times girls don't get. And so it doesn't mean that the girl and the woman is less intelligent or less capable. It means that she. It's not as confident as that man who will be like, yeah, three. You know, also interviews when men are asked, are you ready to work, you know, 50 hours a week for this job? And he might have three children at home and a wife and everything. The man will always say, yes, of course, I'm ready. And it's not true. He will just go into the job and, then, you know, figure it out. A woman will answer immediately, well, you know, I have three children at home. I would rather have uh, flexible mm -hmm. working hours. And then the HR person hears 
the man saying he wants the job and he hears the woman saying she doesn't want the job. It's the difference in the way men and women present themselves. So that's also important to know. But back to your question, making the language inclusive to both men and women is essential. And it might be funny to some people, but I think it makes a lot of sense. And yes, you can laugh about it, but go ahead and do it. And you will see that it will make a difference in who applies to the positions. So great. Diana, thank you so much for your time uh, today. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And, and I think you're really on a beautiful mission with your, with your company, with Equileap. Uh, we'll put the link to your company to, um, with many research there for mm -hmm. everybody yes. who's interested about their publications. Yes. Um, super interesting, including even the uh, top 100 lists yes. um, of the most gender equal companies for some inspirations. Um, for, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really, really insightful. We put this on. And again, all the best with your company, with your mission. And uh, thanks for having us. Thank you very much for inviting me, Arnett. Hey there, and thank you for listening to Future Ready. Future Ready is produced by Cozin, a global communications and change agency on a mission to shape more healthy and thriving businesses. Find out more at wearecozin.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review or forward this show to someone who you think will love it. Thank you very much for this. My today's leaving quote comes from Grace Hopper. The most damaging phrase in the language is... It's always been done that way.